You're listening to the We Are Limerick podcast. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt, and join me each week as we meet the people of Limerick who are making it the place it is today. You can keep up to date with all Limerick news by following the hashtag Keeping Limerick Posted across all social media channels or visiting limerickpost.ie. So for this week's show, I am once again back in the Bell Table Hub and I'm joined by Joanne Ryan from Existentialism. Joanne, how are you? Great, flying it. Uh, existentialism award-winning show coming to the Lime Tree Theatre on the twenty Bell Table Bell Table on the 29th of November. Yes, yeah, for two performances, two performances on the same a matinee day, matinee and an evening. Yeah, show. we're having yeah. Uh, the regular evening show at eight o'clock, and then uh, a special matinee performance at twelve o'clock, twelve noon. And babies are welcome, I believe. Yeah, kids, so if yeah. people have a baby under the age of 12 months, they're welcome to bring that baby into the theatre with them. Brilliant. Uh, to see the show. But it's not, uh, and I'm also hoping that the time of it, it being an earlier matinee, will mean that uh, parents of older kids, like people who have kids in school, um, and maybe afternoon crashes might be able to come along as well. People who wouldn't normally get, you know, or who would struggle to make evening shows usually. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to be a parent to come. It's just an or also just an early matinee, so everyone's welcome. So for uh, people who are listening, uh, existentialism, a, a bit of background to it. Uh, as in what it's about or where yeah. it came mm-hmm. from. Um, so existentialism is a show that charts my journey to a decision about whether or not to have kids. Um, and it came out of uh, this very building, actually, Bell Table. I was doing a, a theatre incubation scheme here in 2015, January 2015. Um, with uh, We were being mentored by this um, political theatre company from the UK called Theatre Uncut. So I knew coming in that I'd be working on a piece of um, new political theatre, but I didn't know what it would be about. And on the first day, just downstairs in the foyer here, uh, as an icebreaker, they asked us to rant for for a minute or less about stuff that we were angry about or afraid of. So I did my rant, rah, rah, rah. And at the end of it, as a joke, I said, and I don't know whether or not I want to have a kid. And the room kind of went dead and then everyone burst out laughing. And I was laughing along, but really (laughs) the joke was on me because I realized as I said it that it was true. And I was coming up to my 35th birthday. I was going to turn 35 three weeks later. She's that age that we're told as women, your fertility is going to fall off a cliff. And so I guess in my unconscious somewhere that was kind of brewing. Um, and I had never thought about it. Like yeah. I had no idea if I wanted to have a kid or not. It just hadn't come up before. And there's kind of a social stigma around not knowing if you want to have a kid or not. I think so. There's so many stigmas around yeah. the, uh, the whole the whole area, you know, around fertility or but especially infertility for women, or I think. having kids, yeah. not having kids. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of uh, it's quite fraught for lots of reasons. Um, so, so yeah. So I thought, well, I don't know. And actually, this is quite a political question in lots of ways. I realised. So why don't I try and figure it out, and uh, by making a play. So it's kind of a social commentary. It is, yeah. So it it charts my journey. So and all the the bonkers stuff I did to try and get an answer. You know, like I went to fertility clinics and um, fortune tellers and the internet and daytime radio and obviously friends and family and anywhere I could to try and get an answer. Um, But also like social historians and um, social workers and got to speak to really interesting people. Yeah. about kind of all aspects of it. Uh, but I was kind of aware early on that I wa- this was a personal life decision for me, but I wasn't, I wasn't making that decision in a vacuum. I was a product of my 
my personal and social and political history, you know, and I thought well, that's really interesting uh, to look at how we we don't how, how we are um, how our big life decisions are informed by our all of that but, stuff that we carry with us. So it looks at Ireland's sexual and reproductive health history from the inception of the state in two thousand in nineteen sixteen rather up until the present day to contextualise my journey. And since the you started researching the show at least yeah. uh, we've had abortion legalised in Ireland yeah absolutely so a lot's changed but it's yes. still a lot to change I think yeah so and actually for purposes of this tour I've been able to update the show to reflect those oh, changes brilliant. yeah so the show now is not the same show that no, was there no it's changed ago. twice so yeah. I, I premiered it in here in Bell Table and in Dublin Fringe Festival in 2016 and then I used the profits from that run to reassemble the creative team again the following year and redevelop it um, and make it more overtly political so because the first version of the show had um, all the, the history and political stuff as kind of a hinge, a central hinge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working with this brilliant animator called Neil O'Driscoll, who's created all these amazing, like Monty Python style, reeling in the years kind of esque uh, <laughs> animated documentaries, which are gas, you know, um, but are also really interesting because yeah. they're the facts of like where we've come from and, you know, everything that's happened in our in our reproductive health history. Uh, and then when we redeveloped it, I wanted to kind of uh, be more overtly political and kind of embrace that a bit more. So it became kind of a superstructure through the play. Um, and then this year, I reassembled the team again to update the show to reflect all the personal and political changes that have happened since its pre- it, since 2017, including, of course, the repealing of the Eighth Amendment in Ireland. Uh, but also other global movements like the Me Too campaign. And, you know, there's been a number of kind of like seismic shifts mm-hmm. really globally and nationally. And also personal changes in my own life. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said you've had a... a Which are, is that I had a baby. Yeah. yeah this year. So, so it's, quite, it's autobiog- autobiographical. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's the oddest answer you've got from someone when you asked them, should you have a kid? Oh, God. Uh, uh, like going to a fortune teller. Oh, yeah, well, that was totally as helpful as you'd expect it to be. Zero help. Uh, she told me that I would have a daughter and a yeah. son, which has not turned out to be the case. Um, she also told me to be careful picking up heavy things because I might put out my back. Yeah, mm, lovely. She's a lot of top tips. It's a good information. Right, 50 yeah, quid, yeah. handy enough. <laughs> <laughs> Money well spent. So, so what's the next step for... So you, you mentioned you were at Fringe in Dublin. You yeah. brought the play abroad yeah it went to edinburgh the following year then it was part of culture ireland's um showcase of irish work which was brilliant to be part of um and it won three awards at edinburgh and and just did really well generally so kind of off the back of that then um there was a lot of international touring over the next couple of years it went to had two london runs went to liverpool cyprus malaysia had an australian tour last year so it was sort of kind of all over the place um which was amazing for me, like, to what, get, what's it like know? bringing something that you've been working on for so long to other countries and having it so well received? Amazing, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I still can't, in lots <laughs> of, I'm still kind of pinching myself about it because I, I made the show for an Irish audience, yeah. you know, it's about Ireland. I know you're talking about there's one bit where you're speaking about uh, parents leaving their kids in the car with the window down, yeah, and a bag of tato. Yeah, there's loads, exactly. Like, it's, it's a lot of the humour in it is, yeah. and the gags in it are, are, are for Irish people. And I thought, 
geez, they'll never get this anywhere else. But actually, there was gags that never got a laugh in Ireland that I left in because I was stubbornly going, that's <laughs> funny, and I'm leaving that in. That got, like, roars of laughter in Cyprus and Malaysia. You know, it's, it's mad. Like, it's yeah. funny the things that people connect with in different places. But I think that, I think... Like, actually, what, we had the reverse thing where I'd been touring it mostly internationally for two years, and then we did it in Ireland for the first time in, at Clonmel Junction Festival last year. Yeah, last year I was pregnant, yeah. And uh, and I remember talking to the stage manager before the shows going, do you know, do you think they'll get it? <laughs> do you think an Irish audience is going to get the show? Like, <laughs> And the, it's a one-woman show. Yeah. But... There's other characters in the show mentioned. Yeah, lots yeah. of other characters. And my mum actually plays herself. Yeah. My mother, Gloria, plays herself in audio recordings through the show. Brilliant. So she's like my co-star <laughs> and uh, was described in one review as my scene-stealing co-star. So that's, that's very annoying. Uh, so she... Very annoying. She, yeah. She's <laughs> got lots of the best lines, damn it. Uh, but she, she's there for a couple of reasons. Well, one, because she's gas. Um so she's there for for comic reasons but she's there also as the voice of reason you know she's the past remarkable irish mammy you know making remarks and everything as we go and kind of snapping me back into focus uh but she's also there as an intergenerational link because i was interested in in mirroring our experiences mm-hmm. as women from different generation generations in ireland so she got pregnant with me in 1979 um, I was conceived in the Limerick Inn Hotel, auspiciously mm. enough. And Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As I say in the show, there should probably be a blue plaque outside <laughs> commemorating that. Um, so she got pregnant with me uh, as an unmarried woman at a time yeah. when it was not cool to be an unmarried yeah. pregnant woman in Ireland. And contraception was illegal for unmarried people, actually, at the time. Uh, so she didn't really have a choice in mm. lots of ways, you know. And... Um, and especially and I, with Limerick's history in yeah, the absolutely. She left. Yeah. She left straight away. She fa- like she found out <coughs> that she was pregnant and she left the country. She left her job and left the country pretty soon afterwards. And I was born in London, yeah. so she didn't feel um, safe to be mm. here as an unmarried woman. Um, did you learn a lot about your mum during the process? I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, we're very close anyway, so yeah. we would have talked a lot anyway. But it was, uh, but we spent hours and hours. Um, you put a different lens on things. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And it's really interesting now, me becoming a mother. And I think when you do become a parent yourself, I think you think about, well, certainly I have anyway, um, about your parents and, yeah. and imagining what it was like for them. And so I have a kind of a, a keener insight now into um, the difficulties and the fear and the stigma and, uh, you know, all of that stuff that she had to contend with. Um, so yeah, so it's so, so so I was interested in kind of mirroring our experiences as women from different generations as well, and, and looking at what's changed and what hasn't, and you know. And uh, as a an actress in a one woman show, uh, what's it like being on stage on your own? Um, God, I've been doing it for for so long now doing yeah. the show. Uh, it's the first time you got up there. Yeah, the f- it, it's it swings and roundabouts because. On the one hand, you you know what's gonna like you know what what you're gonna do and what's gonna happen, and you know you don't have the unreliable the loose cannon of, of other humans <laughs> on a stage <laughs> to mess things up, but you also don't have the safety net of other humans on a stage to help you out if things do go. But uh, you're working with a director, pear shaped. Oh yeah. yeah, no, I worked with uh, very closely with a brilliant director and dramaturg called Veronica Coburn, 
who's brilliant yeah. and brought so much to it. Yeah. But uh, having that, when you're on the stage on your own and knowing that there's this direction behind you, must be a benefit. Like. Yeah. Well, uh, you know that you've. I mean, I knew that I had good, good people working with me. You know, particularly Veronica. Uh, but when you're on stage, geez, the f- actually the very first preview. Um, so your nightmare situation as an actor is always that you'll forget your lines, that you'll just blank on stage. And I've had so many nightmares about that where I wake up sweating going, oh, oh so it's just James Grant, Grant. And that happened to me. The preview, the first preview of the show in Bell Table in 2016. Just well, the preview is the right one to have that happen because nobody knows what lines right, are I mean, meant to come. I mean, there's still a house <laughs> full of people looking at you. But like, nobody knows what lines are meant to come. Yeah, but I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And luckily it happened during uh, like one of those animated documentary sections. So the, sta- the stage manager just kept there was rolling a the slides there and eventually I caught up. And, but I was like, I couldn't believe it. Like I was traumatized afterwards. It was my literal worst nightmare. But it's funny because on stage, I remember like everything kind of slowing down, <laughs> you know, and I could... F- feel my heart beating and I could recognize three people in the third row and I saw someone smiling up at me over there and I was like they're willing me to to remember and And yeah yeah. but it seemed like five minutes (laughs) and then afterwards I was talking to people about it and they were like oh we just thought you paused for effect in the middle of a sentence (laughs) like it was a couple of seconds probably but Jesus you should probably add that to the show instead yeah, yeah people work, enjoy work it, that know? in that uh, nightmarish section. <laughs> no thanks. Um, and you mentioned like the mechanics and stuff of uh, things coming up on screen, yes. and images and stuff. Yeah, like, there's uh, a digital set designed the whole way through. So yeah. is that a timing thing, or how do you work around that? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, we figured out both actually. Yeah. So in some cases, um, it's timed. Uh, it's so I have to perform things in, you know exactly yeah. in the, at the right time. Um, but then in other instances, it isn't timed. So like, well, I think there's, and the operator, the stage manager is operating the next cue, the next cue. So it's a mixture in the show. Um, I think there's sections where we allowed for laughter, but then you don't know how much people are. Or if they're going to. Well, you have to kind of, <laughs> that, but that's true. They might not yeah. laugh at all. Um, so you don't know how, like if it's a bigger crowd, the laughter can go on for longer or yeah. if they're, you know, it depends on the audience. So I think most of those moments we're kind of manually operating, excuse me. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is timed. So you've brought the show to, you mentioned Edinburgh, Greece, Australia. What's it like coming back to Limerick to perform it? Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. Like I haven't done the show in Limerick since that premiere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just can't wait. I'm so, I'm so excited about it. So you might shows. have people coming up after saying, you, you never put the pause in. Yeah, what happened with that, <laughs> that great pause you had in the preview? That was the best bit. The most memorable pause in yeah. stage show history, yeah. Well, the show has changed a lot, you know, really a lot since then. It's been developed twice, you know. So, And are there some uh, Limerick colloquialisms in it? or? There's loads, yeah. yeah. My mother is in it, with yeah. all her spouting Limerick Proper all the way Limerick through. mammy, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so what can people expect at the show? Just two weeks' time? Yeah, mm. Friday week, so yeah. Friday the 29th. Uh, of November um, what can they expect of it uh, well it's uh, it's very funny it's a lot of fun uh, there's beautiful original composition by Sinead Diskin and fantastic sound, sound design throughout uh, she's a wonder uh, Neil O'Driscoll who I mentioned earlier uh, he is uh, an animator and artist AV designer so he's done a digital set design uh, for the whole show so it's really exciting to watch as well and um, he's done some brilliant animated 
documentary sections that I was talking about, like really wacky Monty Python style kind of um, reeling in the years stuff about Ireland's history, which is just hilarious, but also really interesting, you know, and on point, I think. Um, yeah, so I think they'll they'll have a, a really fun, exciting um, night out, but with a lot to think about, yeah. I hope as well, you know. The theatre in Limerick is very busy, actually, isn't it? It is, There's yeah, it's loads of great stuff going and on at the I moment. I think we're lucky with the theatres that we have as well. There's yes. different sizes and Yeah, yeah, so we've got everything. good mid-scale yeah. and large venues. And here we are yeah. sitting in the bell table. Home. And this is a fantastic resource, yeah. you know, and everything that, that Marquetta Dowling has done since she's... As a playwright, what do you make of, like, having these kind of facilities around? Invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just invaluable. I like, can't when you started out, there probably wasn't, this wasn't here. Um, no, there, it, no, there, this, they didn't have this building yet at the time, which is why we were in the foyer, actually, for really? that, that theatre incubation scheme I mentioned earlier. Um, no, you, I can't overstate the importance of these kinds of resources for independent artists. They're absolutely vital. Um, it's amazing. It's transformed the sector, as you, as you can see yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. And how did you yourself get involved in theatre? Uh, oh, I started performing probably when I was a kid I went to spotlight stage school from yeah. we moved back to Limerick when I was six from London and started uh speech and drama with Gabriel Wallace and stage school at spotlight then and just really loved it and but never thought it would be a career just thought it was like my fun kind of <laughs> ho- hobbies or yeah. whatever um and how was it moving back to this went from at the age of six we spent Coming six back, years in London. I was delighted, yeah, because yeah. this is where we came on our holidays. Ah, right. So yeah, you're so going to live in your holidays. In your holiday, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> delighted. And my, with my grandparents as well, who had a garden. So that's, as a six-year-old. Yeah. And did you have the London accent when you moved over? Very, yeah. very chronic. So how was yeah, that? That was kicked out of me fairly lively. <laughs> yeah. What was it like going to stage school with this? It is a fairly eloquent uh, I think that might be the reason why my mum sent me to speech and drama, actually, yeah. was to help. Because I had a really bad Cockney accent as well. It wasn't yeah. just an English accent. Like we. So you I were six going around in a Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like there's tapes of me as a kid, and you're just like, wow. What the? Uh, so that might be why. Yeah. yeah, might might be part of the reason that brought me to drama. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I didn't do anything. That I was kind of uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. My leaving cert was really interested in media. Had an interest in journalism loved English and Irish so I decided to do um, an arts degree in Mary I so I could study all of those things uh, and then I went on I was teacher for a few years um, lived in Bangkok for most of my 20s so I was teaching in international school and then moved into journalism so I was a free freelancing for a number of years I was a travel writer ended up editing at the Bangkok Post before I left Thailand um, but I suppose so I had other careers, but I suppose from about the age of about 24, like my mid-20s, I had started to get involved in um, theatre groups in Bangkok. Oh, right. And then was doing kind of amateur community theatre and then gradually started to progress towards professional shows. So I was doing professional shows before I moved home um, in 2009. What was your first show? My very first show was a show called Adrift uh, that was in Limerick. Uh, I was 17, I think, 17, 18. It's in first year of college. Um, and it was a show by written by Niall Moore and directed by Joan McGarry Moore. And they had a theatre company at the time called Mirage Theatre Company. So that was my first show and first tour, actually. We toured quite yeah. a bit with that show in Ireland. I'd say you learned a lot from that as well. I did, yeah. 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 
Um, What's it like being on tour when you're 17? Uh, it was it's funny, like, it's funny looking back because I see 17 year olds now and I'm like, God, I was just a kid. Do you know? But at the time, I felt like I was an adult, like the rest yeah. of them, you know. And it's a fairly professional setup as well, like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Considering it's it a university thing. Great like, opportunity, college, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then I did a few shows in Bangkok uh, as well, a few professional shows there. And then, yeah, so then I moved home kind of on a romantic expat whim to study Irish in the Gaeltacht. So I went to Connemara for the summer and I ended up staying there for a year and a half studying Irish. Uh, and then I did an audition for Ross Naroon and was cast in a TG Cahar film called Malut Suintina. And then was cast in Ross Naroon and a couple of other TG Cahar films. So ended up, like I'd assumed that I'd just be going on to do to be a freelancer again, yeah. a journalist. But... It was it was kind of interesting because I came home just in time for the crash, um, and kind of the the arse was falling out of everything in the country, and so they didn't have newspapers and magazines didn't have freelance budgets. Mm-hmm. So actually, I had as much of a chance making a living as a performer than I did as a journalist. Yeah. So that the crisis was an opportunity for me. People in the arts usually get creative during a recession as well. Like, you know? People in the arts are always creative. That's no, true, but yeah. no, I think you're right though. I think there's a lot of um, opportunity. Uh, and creativity from crisis and there's a lot to talk about yeah <laughs> so it worked out really well so that's yeah. kind of how, what happened then in the end so uh, as a Gael Gore would you like to translate existentialism into uh, it's come up a couple of times what's the Irish for existentialism I don't know what would I call it o- if it's Ithaca or something yeah um, yeah I don't it's, it's come up in passing but I don't no no I don't think so so what are the plans for existentialism's future uh, I don't know, actually, yeah. beyond this tour. I haven't really thought past it. I was working on another piece um, recently that had kind of taken a lot of my focus. So beyond, I mean, I hope that it will continue to tour. I love performing the show. Yeah. Um, it's really exciting now as well to have this newer, updated version of the show too. So that's bringing something new to it for me as a performer as well and as an artist. Uh, so yeah, look forward to more touring. And I mentioned earlier on it was an award-winning show. What's it like knowing that your work has been received awards, that kind of recognition. Um, is it important or... It's funny. Is it just one of those things? Um, God, it's a funny one because it's kind of like with reviews, I guess. Like on the one hand, when you get a really good review, you're delighted, it's amazing. You, you feel that someone's understood you and you feel validated and all the, you know, the work that you've done. But by the same token, then you have to accept the bad reviews. Do you know what I mean? And they're subjective. So it's, you know, subjectively people decided that the show should get awards. So it's kind of a, it's a funny one as an artist, I think. You don't want to get too, but of course, I mean, like they're great to get and it's great crack as well. It's, and it's great to celebrate and it's great uh, to celebrate the work and, and to get that kind of recognition is brilliant. Yeah. And is there anything that you'd like to work on in the future? Like any new works that you're planning? Yeah, or? well, I'm, I've developed a new show called Into Minds, which is a show about, um, well, not about, but inspired by my mum's bipolar disorder. So okay. she's, she asked me to write the show actually a number of years ago when we were working on existentialism, actually, um, together. She asked me one day, when this, when you finish with this show now, would you consider writing a show about bipolar disorder? And I said no. But then after a couple of years of thinking and talking it through with her more and more, I decided to go ahead. So I started work on that. It was commissioned initially by Bell Table <coughs> Connect, 
which was amazing. Um, so I was able to work on the first draft thanks to that commission and then um, got further funding from the Arts Council and, and a number of other funders, which I'm very grateful for. So I has, was able to have a, a much longer, kind of more multifaceted development process then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was keen to get that finished before I had my baby. So we did the work in progress of that at the end of last year. Um, sorry, the beginning of this year when I was very pregnant in Dublin as part of the first fortnight festival, which is a mental health arts festival. So yeah, so really I'm hoping that that will premiere in 2021. Brilliant. Yeah. And then uh, finally, existentialism. When can people see it? When can they see it? Uh, if you're in Limerick, uh, you can see it on November 29th at 12 o'clock. So if you want to take an early lunch or if you have kids in school and that's a, a more convenient time for you come along then. Or if you have a baby under 12 months, you can bring them too. You'd be very welcome. Uh, or at 8 o'clock that night. Brilliant. Joanne Ryan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the We Are Limerick podcast. For more podcasts, visit limerickpost.ie forward slash podcasts. And you can keep up to date with all Limerick news by following the hashtag Keeping Limerick Posted across all social media channels.